Okay. And happy birthday, Roy. Today is Roy's birthday, so we got a lot of birthdays lately. We had one last Sunday here, and then again today, so praise God. Okay, we are coming to the close of our study and our teaching on the children of Israel. We're nearing the end of that journey. We will be there again today. If you have your Bible or you get your YouVersion app, look for us there in events. You can find the notes for today's message. We'll be in Numbers chapter 13 today. But we focused on particular parts of the journey as we've gone along so that we could make applications because we've said over and over again that our life is a parallel to the journey of the children of Israel. And what you need to do as we tell these uh, stories and we look at these situations in the Word of God is you need to hear the story behind the story. And what that means is you need to hear with spiritual ears and you need to apply the things that they're going through and the decisions that they're facing and the opportunities, the challenges, you need to apply those to your own heart and to the road that we're walking here this year in 2020. Unfortunately, the study of the children of Israel has been a lesson more in what not to do than what to do. God promised Abraham he would give his descendants a land, a good place for a nation to dwell. It would be a place where they could thrive as people of God. It would be a theocratic society. God would be their heavenly father, and he would care for them as a natural father cares for his children. But between that promise, the people and the promised land, between that promise to the people, there were challenges. There was life. How many of you know life has challenges? And repeatedly, week after week, we have watched the children of Israel as they've moved into these challenging opportunities. And with every opportunity, they had the ability to have victory on the battleground of belief, and they had victory, they had the opportunity to have victory in trusting in God's faithfulness. Did they do that? No. With every opportunity, unfortunately, we saw them fail. They lost that battle of belief time after time. Now, our realization has been that they've failed because they were immature children. Immature children. And they took for granted God's works, and they never became a follower of God's ways. I hope that you've had an opportunity, if you weren't here last week, to go and listen to the message last week. We gave a clear distinction of those who follow the hand of God and those who follow the heart of God. The children of Israel took for granted God's works, and they never became followers of God's ways. They never postured their heart towards a belief system which trusted God and his ability to keep his promises that he has made to them. Now, last week I said in like manner that I believe that the year 2020 could also have been designed for God for much the same purpose. 2020 has been a year that has shaken people, it has shaken communities, it has shaken nations. And the body of Christ, we have been moved into challenging places. And if we do not have our hearts postured in God and prepared 
For this battle of belief, we will be like the children of Israel and we will fail every challenge. Today, in our scripture, we find the children of Israel standing on the edge of their promised land. They have made it. Now, surely after this long journey, nothing is going to stop them from claiming their inheritance and possessing their promise. Surely, this final skirmish on the battleground of belief, surely they're going to win. Let's see. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've already accomplished in the hearts of people today. Holy Spirit, bring your anointing upon your word as I deliver it, as we look at this, as we study it, as I teach it, Lord. Let us find a deep root inside of our hearts, Lord, and let it grow and mature there so that we can make the applications and the changes in our lives that we need to make. Bless us to be hearers of your word. In Christ's name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13 or look at it on the screen behind me. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 to bring us to where they are. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Cana, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. And then the next few verses there in your Bible, you'll see the names. I could read through them. I have them all here in my notes, and I would butcher them all, I'm sure, because they're Hebrew names. But there are names of 12 men that have been selected, one from every tribe, to be the ones to go into the land to look it over. Now, Numbers chapter 10 told us that the journey is now in its second year, year two. So given all the experiences that the people have gone through in the previous months of preparation and their journey, at last... At last, they have arrived at a location which is in close proximity to the land that God has promised them. And now it's time to claim their promise. It's time to believe in God's power to complete his word. It's time for them to march in, march in in his name, and to claim that land that he has given them. They are right on the brink of seeing and realizing their inheritance. They are sitting on ready. They can look over and actually see the physical land that God is giving them. So God states again in this scripture that we just read, he stated again, I am giving this land to the people. So they have God's word on it. Now God is giving the instructions to Moses that a group of leaders are to go over, take a look. Leaders, leaders, heads of the people, specifically chiefs in some translation, it calls them chiefs. These are not just random people from the congregation. These men were leadership. And the narrative proves their importance by specifically listing for generations to come who they were specifically. So everybody knows for centuries who these men were. Now Moses says, go over there, take a look, look at the demographics, 
look at the cities, the people, look at the topography. Is it mountainous? Is it valleys? Are there trees? What is it exactly? And in verse 20, he tells us that it's the season for fruit. So he says, bring back some of the fruit of the land to prove its goodness to the people. So this is a great leadership plan that Moses has. We know the promise is to possess the land. So Moses says, go and evaluate everything so we can wisely determine, okay, what's going to be our next step in our possession? So the men set out. And we can only anticipate that they are excited. I mean, they're in year two of their journey. There has been so much that has happened. So they take off with excitement, their confidence. They've got a spirit of divine adventure in their hearts. And so for 40 days and approximately 250 miles, they travel all through the land. They gather the information that Moses requested. Verse 23 tells us that they cut down a cluster of grapes that was so large that they had to put it on a pole, and two men had to carry it between them. And besides the grapes, they also found some pomegranates and some figs, so there's a lot of grapefruit in the land. Now, the grapes, grapes are a prophetic symbol. They're a prophetic symbol of joy that comes from the fruit of the vine. The prophetic message here is that as they possessed their land of promise, their hearts were going to be filled with the joy of the Lord, and they were going to eat of the good of the land. That's what the grapes prophesied to them. So the men return, and the whole congregation, the word says all the congregation, gather to hear the report. So all 12 men... All 12 men had the same experiences. They went to the same places. All 12 men saw the same cities, the same land, the same people. As a matter of fact, all 12 men had been on the journey since day one, since they left Egypt. They had all had the same experiences. And though their physical eyes, all 12 men, saw the very same thing, their spiritual eyes perceived it very differently. Here in the narrative, we can see a clear difference between a heart of unbelief and a heart of belief. Ten leaders, ten leaders had a heart of unbelief and two leaders had the heart of belief. So this observation brings us to a very important truth. People can experience the same circumstances, but come to entirely different conclusions depending on the posture of their heart. We have all together been experiencing the challenges of 2020. And you can bless it or you can curse it. It's going to depend on the posture of your heart. And what? We individually believe what you individually believe in your heart to be true about God. That's going to determine whether you move forward or you wander 40 more years. I am not wandering 40 more years. I am determined to believe God is able. God is able. So let's look at Numbers 13, 27 through 29. And they told him. So here is the report of unbelief 
coming first. They told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they're pointing even to the grapes. Here's the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, they dwell in the hill country. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the river Jordan. So the first words that the men say are truthful. They state the land does flow with milk and honey, signifying prosperity and good things. Yeah, it's a good land. There's a lot of great things there. They acknowledge, yeah, look, we brought, we brought these grapes back. But then they interject the word but or however, depending on your translation, or except they interject unbelief. They immediately reverse the mood of the report. And then they begin lamenting about the large fortified cities, the strong people. And then they bring up their old enemies who had troubled them in the past, the children of Anak. They also make it clear that every part, the mountains, the river, the sea, every part of the land is clearly already occupied by another nation of people. Now, this negative report obviously stirred up the people and caused them all to be very frightened. A report of unbelief will always foster confusion and chaos. If someone tells you something and in your spirit, fear, confusion, chaos starts rising up, you need to be careful. Numbers 13.30 states that Caleb stood up and quieted the crowd. And here is the report of the belief. Caleb saw the same land. He saw the same fruit. He saw all the same people. He saw the same impregnable and inaccessible cities. He, say, he saw those same old enemies, descendants of Anak. He saw the same nations already living everywhere. He didn't deny any of that report. Yet here are his words in Numbers 13, 30. But, quiet, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Let's go up right away, he said. He was so anxious to possess his inheritance. He didn't want to wait another moment. Let's go. Let's not only go, but let's occupy it. Let's get in that land and let's live in it. The original language records Caleb's words as saying, we are most assuredly able to do it. We can do this, he says, because we're able to overcome. His heart was full of belief in God. It didn't matter about the challenges. It didn't matter about the hardships. It didn't matter about the battles which were going to have to be fought. Caleb believed God. He saw every battle as an opportunity for God to get a glorious victory. He didn't look at the battle and say, oh, we're going to be crushed. He looked at the battle and said, God's going to be glorified. 
Listen, Caleb didn't try to minimize the challenges. No one's in denial here. He didn't say anything like, yeah, yeah, but the cities, they really weren't that big. And he didn't say, yeah, yeah, but the people, they, they really weren't that big. It really wasn't. He didn't say anything like that. His believing heart was trusting in the faithfulness of God. He had seen enough of God's presence in their lives on the journey to know that whatever obstacles lay ahead, God was more than able. He's more than able to provide for their victory. And his encouragement was, let's go quickly. Let's possess what God has provided for us because surely we will overcome every challenge, every obstacle because God said, this is our land. That's the bottom line. God has said so. God, would you give us more Caleb's? Would you give us more Caleb's in our lives to bring encouragement to just believe God? Well, the debate continued quite loudly. Unbelief got even louder. And Numbers 13, 31 says, Then the men who had gone up with him, the other ten, said, We are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spouted out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. So now, as they speak again, their words become even more exaggerated with fear. Now the land is no longer a land of milk and honey, but now the land devours its inhabitants. And now the people are not just strong, but now the people are giants. And the verse, uh, Numbers 13, we see the death blow there in that final verse. The unbelieving majority confess from their mouth that they see themselves as grasshoppers. We are grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. What do you do with grasshoppers? <laughs> you squish them. <laughs> you destroy them. Their fear was now so large it consume them. Listen to me. This is, if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. Our focus will grow to become our obsession. And what we see will become our truth. And then our obsession will become our confession. And what we believe to be truth will come out of our mouth. And then our confession will become our possession. And what comes out of your mouth will become your reality. And this is truth, praise God, whichever way though, it cuts both ways. If you are filled with God, if God is your focus, then he will become your obsession. He will become your truth. And our God obsession will then become our confession. We will then begin to confess what we believe to be true about God. That will become uh, come out of our mouth. And then what comes out of our mouth from our confession, we will possess it will become our reality. So it works both ways. 
And it all depends on what is rooted in your heart. But their fear and their unbelief, it spread through the people like wildfire. In Numbers 14, verse 1 through 4, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones, they're going to become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The congregation has swallowed that negative report, hook, line, and sinker. The words of faith that Caleb and Joshua also were saying, they were not heard at all. They had no impact. All the people could hear was walled cities, strong men, giant people. Even the prophetic symbol of the grapes, now they turn that as ugly proof as just how big the people are. Wow, you see how big these grapes are? Well, it takes grapes that big to feed people that big. So what was supposed to be a symbol of prophetic message of hope, now they've turned and it's a sign of their demise. No voice. No voice of remembrance, no remembrance of the Red Sea, no remembrance of the battles that they already won against the Amalekites, no remembrance of God's faithfulness, not even gazing up, no gazing up to see at that very moment the cloud of his presence right over them. No looking up at all. Their heart is so postured in unbelief they can't even look up and see the presence of God right over them. They're cast headlong, it says, into a sea of grief. And that sea of grief, that crying, it gave birth to anger. And that anger gave birth to rebellion. And now they are treading on very dangerous ground. Their rebellion has reached a climax and their rejection of God. Let's choose another leader and go back to Egypt. Their rejection of God with those comments is complete. From their mouth, they're rejecting all that God has done and everything that he is. Their words, it would be better for us to die in bondage. It would be better for us to have never been set free. Oh, that we had never left Egypt. The Lord, our rescuer, he is dealing treacherously with us and he is bringing us out to kill us. He's going to kill our families. He's going to kill our children. Our families are going to be destroyed. Yahweh, our Lord is not enough. His power is not enough to deliver us. He is not strong enough. He is not big enough. He is not powerful enough to deliver us. Let's choose another leader. Let's go back to bondage. Can you realize the depth of their rebellion? 
Let me put it to you this way. It would be the very same words we might hear today that Christ followers, if they said, it would have been better for me never to have accepted Christ. It would be better for me to just die in my sin rather than deal with these challenges. It would be better for me to have never tasted freedom. Jesus is dealing treacherously with me. He put me on this path to kill me. Jesus is not enough. His powerful is his power is not enough. Look at this giant of infirmity that I am facing. He cannot deliver me. Look at this giant of addiction. He cannot deliver me. Look at this giant of depression in my promised land. Jesus cannot deliver me. Look at this giant of divorce in my promised land. Jesus is not powerful enough. He's not powerful enough to save my children. He's not powerful enough to save my marriage. He's not powerful enough to save my family. The Lord is not big enough, strong enough, powerful enough to make good on the abundant life that he promised me. That is exactly what they are saying. And it's exactly what you say. Jesus is not enough. Oh, we would never say that. However, when we give focus to our fears and our doubts, and when we allow our unbelief to control our path forward, when we allow our unbelief to keep us from possessing our land, we are giving voice to those very things. Numbers 14, verse 5 through 9 says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and said to all the congregation, all the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land. He will give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. In the midst still of the doubt and the unbelief, there are still two voices, two voices anchored in the heart of believing, proclaiming God's grace and remembering God's mighty power. Two voices. The majority is not always right. Leaders are not always right. Moses and Aaron, they have hit the ground in intercession. Uh, They know what's coming. They have humbled themselves before the Lord because they realize at any moment the anger of the Lord is likely to burst upon the people. And Joshua and Caleb tearing their clothes is just a sign of just intense mourning and grief and an urgency. 
And then Joshua steps up and he begins to speak. And he reiterates all the goodness, all the good things of this promised land. It's exceedingly good land. It's filled with prosperity. It's everything that God said it would be and more. And again, he doesn't deny that there are going to be challenges. He doesn't deny there are going to be adversaries. But he minimized the challenges and he magnifies his great God. His believing heart steps into a position of faith and he boldly declares, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who? These people? We will eat these people for our lunch, he says. And we can do this because God delights in us. What beautiful language. God delights in us. The Lord delighting in us is a beautiful picture of God smiling over his people, enjoying the relationship he has with his children, not letting anything happen to his kids. Faith believes in that great grace of God, that Lord of mercy who sings and dances over his children. Jesus even stated the father desires to give good gifts to the children. Joshua tells the congregation, if you'll only repent, just repent and believe. The land can still be ours. It can still be ours. Whatever protection, whatever false gods these people are relying on for their protection, it's nothing for the one true God. His power will expose the deception and remove their protection Joshua's telling them, their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. There's no reason to fear. Isn't it so encouraging? Because I know I've been there on that brink of disaster when God sends somebody along to pull you off the edge. Joshua and Caleb, with everything that's within them, they are trying to pull this people off the edge. Just believe. Just what the people needed to hear, right? wrong. They were already too far gone in their rebellion and unbelief. They were already too far gone. But you know, one day I was reading in Proverbs and I'd never, I can't even tell you where it was, but there is a scripture there where it talks about beyond the point of healing. That was sobering that day when I read that. There's a place that is beyond the point of healing. These people, they had gone too far in their rebellion, too far in their unbelief, and now murder fills their heart. Verse Numbers 14, verse 10 says, they took up stones. Now they've got murder. They're going to just kill these voices of faith. But the glory of God appeared The glory of God came down from that cloud and came down right where they were, and God intervened with his presence. Closing, let me summarize the end of this journey. The anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. In verse 12, God says to Moses, I'm just going to strike these people with pestilence. I'm going to disinherit them. And Moses, I'll just take you. I'll make a great nation of you. You'll be mightier than them. And Moses, that true follower, he has no selfish ambition in his heart. He didn't say, you know what, God? Good enough for him. 
I'm going to stand over here and just have at it because I'm sick and tired of these people. No, he doesn't say that. He cares only for the heart and reputation of God. He doesn't care anything at all for himself. Only for God's reputation. He says to God, if all the people of the surrounding nations who've already heard of our journey, the journey of the children of Israel had already spread into all the surrounding nations. People had already heard about the Red Sea deliverance. People had already heard about the water from the rock. They had already heard about these tens of thousands of people that get up every morning and get their breakfast off the ground called manna. The nations had already heard of all, they've already heard of all this, Moses says. So now, if you bring them here, Lord, and then you destroy them right before they go in, well, the, all the other nations, they're going to think that you weren't God enough to bring your own work to completion. It's your reputation, God, that I'm concerned about. You're not God enough. You're not powerful enough. You got them this far, but you can't get them over into the promised land. That's what the people are going to think. And that's not true, God. You're more than able. You're more than able to bring the work to completion. And then Moses reminded God of his name. Remember when he went up on the mountain and asked God, show me your glory, and God revealed his name Yahweh, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression. That's who you are, God. That's what your name is. Please, Moses says, please pardon the sin of this people just as you've forgiven them from Egypt <laughs> all the way till now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. We're going to worship here at the end of the service today. You know, I don't know what your promised land is in this life, but we all have one. God has made us a promise. And you don't know. I'm going to encourage you today because it doesn't matter how things look, it doesn't matter. You could be standing right here, right on the edge. You are right on the edge of your promise. It is right there. If you had physical eyes, you could see right there your promise, your spouse saved, your family restored, your finances turned around. Whatever it is your promised land is, right there. Your family restored to you. You could be right there on that edge. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. We have covenant promises that have been made possible. You guys go ahead. Just sing. We're going to sing that song, God, I Look to You. We have covenant promises. We all do. Made possible by Jesus Christ, by His blood by the work he did on the cross. And you can enter into those covenant promises right now in this life. Now I know as a Christ follower, we have heaven waiting on us. 
But you can have the covenant promises of God right now in this life. You can have promises. You can have healing in your body. Maybe that's your promised land. God gave you a promise of healing. You can have the restoration of your family and your marriage, your children. You can have that in this life. You just have to believe. You just have to posture your heart toward believing in God and that He is able. He is able. He's able to complete everything. He began a good work in you. The Bible says we were all fearfully and wonderfully made. Everyone in here, God began a good work in you. When He created you, when He crafted you, in your mother's womb and he had purpose and destiny and intention over your life and he is able it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter where you've been he's able to bring it to a good God outcome you just need to trust him you just need to trust him you need to lay it all down and surrender I needed to believe that he is able Jesus said I came to give life and life more abundantly. It's the thief that comes to steal and to kill. It was the thief through his weapon of fear and unbelief. He stole from the children of, of Israel their inheritance and he brought them to destruction. The words they spoke right on the edge, the words they spoke about we're going to die in this wilderness it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. They did die in the wilderness. Their confession became their reality. And the 10 who gave the evil report, they were struck by a plague. They were taken out totally. Doesn't have to be that way. You can have victory today on your battleground of belief. God is able. He's well able. He's well able. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Holy Spirit, come. In and of ourselves, we're not able to do anything, Lord. We need you. We need your spirit within us. To fan that little flame of belief in us. By your Holy Spirit and make it make it rise God until we know that we know that we know that we know who you are what you've done for us what you've promised to us every week we always give an opportunity for salvation it's so important the first thing you have to believe is that Jesus loves you. It's that God loved you so much, He sent His Son to die for you. He is your rescuer. He is your help. He's your redeemer. He loves you so much. And He's here for you right now in this very moment. If you need to take that very first step, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're watching us on the live stream, you need to give your heart to Jesus today made a mess of things maybe maybe 
We all did that, and we all came to the place where we had to decide once and for all, I can't do this, and I need some help. And Jesus is there for us.